Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. This is Asia Tech Podcast. We are talking to and finding out about some of the leading podcasters in Asia. So I'm delighted to be joined in the virtual studio today by one of my favorites, Steve Stein. Welcome. Thank you, Graham. It's great to be here. Or not be here. Yeah, exactly. A man who spent so long in Asia and the voice of the Inside Asia podcast, which I thoroughly recommend. We'll talk about that in a minute. You are not in Asia at the moment. Where are you? I'm not. I'm not. I'm back in the US, uh, you know, till the end of the year and and trying to finish up a book. I figure I need to isolate myself. Too, no, too many distractions back in Asia. Right. Exactly. You're locking yourself away in the wood cabin. You're getting <laughs> really it done. Back. Yes. Uh, let, we'll talk about your podcast in a minute. Your odyssey, how you got to Asia in the first place. How long have you been living in Asia? Yeah, coming up on 30 years. So uh, we, wow. we, we arrived, um, uh, I, was a, I was a graduate student, China studies student in Washington, D.C. back in 1989. And uh, I had an opportunity to go to, to Asia, to China specifically. My, my uh, professor was, uh, uh, Doug Barnett was a great Sinologist. And he had been in the, uh, the back country of China in 1948 on horseback, sending in uh, wire uh, uh, stories about uh, this guy Mao Zedong, who seemed to be, wow. you know, breaking in and 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 pushing back on the nationalists. Everybody wrote him off, and they said uh, never happened. And in fact, it did. And he turned into this hero. Went on to be this great professor and taught at many many universities. Ended up at Johns Hopkins. And I wanted to study under this guy because I was an aspiring journalist at the time. 1989 comes in. Zhao Ziyang is is down in the square apologizing to the students who have gathered in Tiananmen Square. Uh, and Doak turned to me and said, it's your turn. And wow. now it's your time. And I thought, that's it. From my mentor, time to go. My big journalist uh, foray, the whole bit. You know, turned down jobs. My wife quit her job, sold our, our uh, car, the whole bit. It's Ten days before we left for China, Tiananmen Square, the whole thing erupted. Uh, violence came out, uh, students were pushed back, uh, you know, all kinds of chaos and havoc and, and, and sorrow. Uh, and my opportunity to go and freelance in China was shut down, at least for a while. So having no other choice, my wife and I kind of uh, put on our backpacks and toured around Asia for nine months and landed in Hong Kong flat broke. And that's where it all began. Wow. I love that story. <laughs> but you, you still made it happen. You didn't wait for somebody to pick you and say, hey, Steve, you're going to be our correspondent in Beijing. Even that that door was closed. You opened another one for yourself, right? You pushed on it and you went backpacking nine months. You, you were determined to get out here, it seems. <laughs> Very determined. But I, what, we, what choice did I have? I mean, I, I literally had, had, you know, shut down all other options that were available to me in the U.S. I mean, I went to a, a program where, you know, I almost went into the State Department. Thank God I didn't. And, uh, you know, no offense, but, you know, it would not, not have been my my path. And, and there were other opportunities. But I figured, you know, if I studied Asia, I need to be in Asia. And that's yeah. that's yeah. why we made the journey. And, and there's been no looking back. Yeah, yeah. you got to show up, haven't you? Well, mm. you, you? Your background, your training is as a journalist, as a writer. Do you see yourself yeah, as a journalist and a writer? Yeah, it's really a great question. I mean, I've had quite a journey. It's it's almost been I'm a, I'm a professional job changer. Every five years, <laughs> I've done something different. Um, but I started as a journalist, and and that's right. where I kind of because I love to write. I was I was in in Africa uh, just after I graduated from college and sitting in a mud hut on the you know border of Kenya and Uganda, 
looking at my journals that were filling up with all this, these, uh, you know, thoughts and ideas and the whole bit. And I realized you know, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what I want to do for a living. But in fact, I'm doing it. I'm writing. Right. I love right and and that's never left me through all the things i've done through the years over the 30 years even though i left journalism formally in 1995 what do you like about writing what does it do for you oh it's the process i mean it's just the pro and, and the, the the extraordinary things you can do with language you know and um but, but but to be frank i don't think i was a great journalist in the day i think i was frank i what i really enjoyed was the interview you know, mm. which which We'll come back to that later. It's kind of the thread that's run through so many things I've done through the years. Um, I love the interview. I love the engagement. I love probing and finding answers and really problem solving. Writing is actually the the, the hard stuff. That's mm. that's the work. But I've learned to love it and appreciate it over time. In fact, I'd say today I enjoy writing more than I did when I was a journalist. Mm. You talk about the interview itself being the the main sort of core of what you do. There's an art and a science there, isn't there? You, you know, what is it that you enjoy? I mean, come to the podcast, obviously, but as a writer, interviewing people in your early days as a journalist, what, what kind of things were you doing? When was it you kind of decided, actually, this is what I really am passionate about? Yeah, you know, it's, it's not the writing, it's, it's story. And it's it's just story. And, and, and you know, I, I was I had the luxury of, of working with The Wall Street Journal for several years and probably the best editors I've ever been with in my life. And they always spent all their time on what they call the nut graph, the lead graph, uh, you know, finding that hook. And, and they were the best when it came to crafting maybe a little anecdote up front or a, a quirky little idea or something that just hooked the reader. And for me, that never left me. And, and that, that idea of setting up the story, teeing it up, um, you know, flash of interest, and then all of a sudden you've got your listener, your reader, whatever the case may be, that's something which was just instrumental in the early days of, of, of journalism for me. Did you have people that you particularly looked up to? Any names in journalism or writers that you, you know, had a style that you aspired to be like? Or oh, you know, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I was I was an aspiring business writer, so you know, my mentor in in Washington D.C. and I, I worked for him in part time when I was going to graduate school is a guy named Alan Murray, mm. and Alan went on to be the uh, assistant deputy or the deputy uh, editor of the Wall Street Journal just before, um, and he was, he, you know, he was he was going to be in line until Murdoch took over the Wall Street Journal. And I watched Alan just rise and go through the ranks. But he was a wonderful mentor, an amazing guy. Um, I used to he was researching a book on supply side economics. And he sent me out into the field to like interview people like Jack Kemp and Jude, Jude Wanensky and Art Laffer and the guys who kind of invented or created the concept of supply side. He just gave me so much, you know, um, he believed that I could go out and, and come back with great insights, great information, good descriptions. Uh, you know, I think that that meant a lot to me. And I, I, I hope that I can be that mentor for other people or have been that mentor for people through the years. Yeah, well, that's awesome. It's a great goal to aspire to be. I, I like the idea that these people can tell really good stories as well. And I think that that sort of whole storytelling thing, we don't realize how powerful it is and what exactly it is until somebody actually sits down with you and shows you actually you know, Steve, you know, younger Steve, this is how you write a story. This is what you need to look for. And this is that hook, that human element. And I don't think people realize that is actually a skill. Some people tell really good stories. Obviously, you know, people are very aware of Steve Jobs as a, as a master storyteller, you know, how he stands up on stage and tells stories. But writers as well, a good journalist, 
tell amazing stories. And it's not once upon a time, is it? It's about looking for that human angle, looking for, oh, why is this relevant to me as a reader? Why am I going to connect with this story? What does it mean to me? And whether they're a photojournalist or, you know, a written hack or whatever it is, that is a skill. And I find it increasingly today, that art of storytelling is, I don't know if it's getting lost, but we, we, we're getting disconnected with it in some way because a lot of the media is focused on very much short attention spans, you know, like catchy headlines. Oh, I don't have time to listen to a 30-minute podcast. You know, people sort of being trained by the media almost to kind of get away from the story. I don't know your thoughts on this. Do you think we're still, you know, celebrating storytelling in media like we used to? I I do. But I I think what's happened is it's, uh, you know, journalism or at least news journalism has been maligned. So now it was all and I was there like, you know, I watched this industry change from, you know, I was I was hired at the Wall Street Journal as a a so-called a so-called page one writer. Um, you know, where, where they actually told you as you kind of walked into it, something that was occurring in the marketplace to say, stop, think, pull back, get the backstory, understand the context, come out with something lively and fresh and insightful. And I tell you what, that's why for years the journal was just top of their game mm. because they had the patience to be able to do that. All of a sudden, though, the Internet appeared and, and this idea of speed and news bites and news feed and wire services started to basically subsume or, or, or overwhelm the, the, the great storytelling form of journalism, the, what we call the long form. Mm. But, but there's a reason why now, Graham, we see this kind of resurgence in interest in The New Yorker or The Atlantic or The Economist, where you know now some of the great long form writing and essayists and others are coming back into fashion because, frankly, people are bored with the little quick bites and quick insights. And, and, and not only that, you can't always trust your sources. So people really want to know what's really going on. Maybe this is wishful thinking, but I really do think it's coming back. And I think ultimately people gravitate towards great story, great insight, um, and an ability to kind of weave a tale to leave you gasping. That's yeah. what I think people are really open for and what they want. Right. Well, it's our responsibility to do that as well. So we're well, out there. Well, we are the last of the vanguard. Maybe educate the next generation. Who knows? But I mean, I, I read a... Talking about journalism, I recently read a biography by a journalist called Bob Fisk, who has, you know, is a war correspondent much of his life. He spent his life out in, you know, North Africa when all that kicked off and then in the Middle East and so on. But boy, can he write amazing. You know, this is a book. I know you you said you're on 27,000 words. I read this one on Kindle. It must have been a hundred thousand words. It is a an epic. And you think yeah. I, I no way am I gonna read this thing like you know, front to back, but I did because the writing is just so good. I'm not talking about flowery writing, it's not Shakespearean, but you know, just that level of care for detail and story. You know, if there was an incident, he would go in and find out about the family involved in, you know, the incident or whatever, and, you know, where the kids went to school and the kind of life that they lived. And he would talk to people and interview and wow, and really cared about the subject. And I thought, uh, see, there it is, man. See, there man you're right on it but what do you look listen to what just you're saying right there it's about the personalizing the personal stories mm. that tell a bigger tale 
I mean, that, I think that is where great journalism really shines. I mean, another guy, Tony Horowitz, I don't know if you've ever, you know, in Baghdad without a map or uh, my favorite book, which is Confederates in the Attic, mm. where he basically goes and finds personalities in these communities, whether it be in the deep south or the Middle East. And he builds his tales about that state or about that country around these individuals. It's kind of a format that he developed about 20 years ago. Um, he was married to Geraldine. I don't know. I think they're still married. Geraldine Brooks, who was a, a, a world a renowned journalist, was with The Wall Street Journal. Tony wrote for the journal for a while as well, but more as a freelancer. But that type of journalism, I think, is just is never going to get old. Simon Winchester, mm. you know, he was a great oh, wow. agent. Right. And yeah. and he's now living, I think, somewhere up in New England. But he's still at it. You know, he's still telling great tales. One of the best storytellers, truly, I've, I've, I got a whole story about Simon Winchester we can talk about at some point. Fascinating guy. And he's still out there and still beating it, beating it and you know, doing a great job with uh, telling tales. Mm. Do these do they influence you? Do they shape your art, your craft when you produce, edit, interview on Inside Asia? Oh, absolutely. I mean, in fact, I think the, the part, the joy that I feel in doing the, the podcast, it's about a 30 minute conversation based con, uh, uh, a podcast we've been doing for now 18, 19 months. Mm. So we got 70 episodes out. But the piece that I've started to kind of work on gradually over time with Steve Hayward, who's my producer, is what we call the Asia Insider Minute, which is literally the last three to five minutes should be Asia Insider five minutes, but it's really doesn't doesn't have the same oh, you, don't, you don't have to justify yourself we you get know, it but, but but it's just it's at the end it's basically you know it's it's really a, a way of kind of pulling back thinking about the conversation we just had uh trying to to kind of identify the key themes and issues and then ask a few questions of my own but it's in the crafting of that little piece at mm -hmm. the end to me that gives me some of the greatest joy because it allows me to kind of like work with the ideas, work with the individual, say something interesting, leave people with some thoughts or questions. I think that that's what we should all be doing if we're in the world, uh, living in the world of, of ideas and, and writing and, and, uh, and podcasting. Absolutely. And I, I love the fact you mentioned that word joy. We don't often hear that in day-to-day -day work, do we? No, in fact, uh, fascinating because that's the book I'm working on is kind of the future of work. And, uh, uh, and, and I'm doing a lot of research on that. And I saw one survey recently that said that only 30% of people in the developing world have sat, are satisfied or engaged in yeah. the word is engaged in work. Uh, the other 70% are just showing up or could, you know, hate it to their bones. And that is a sad statement. And that's a big shift from what it was 10 or 15 years ago. Wow. I think 30% is being generous as well. Don't you think? So. Yeah, it depends, right? Different markets and different, obviously different industries. But yeah, on, on, on the whole, uh, this, I think, survey was cut across Western Europe and, and the US. Uh, it looked like about 30%. So yeah, not good. What's that like? You, you're talking about the joy of, of doing what you do and engaging with people, um, connecting with people, telling stories. What's it like when you sit with your guests and you actually talk to them what does that do for you as an individual i mean often we we talk about the podcast host's role is to get their story out but there's a real impression left on you as well because you're sitting with amazing people on a regular basis how does yeah. that impact you it's uh it's it's one of it's it's a it's an an honor uh, and a privilege to do it to be honest with you and and you know i, I guess the reason 
well, I mean, just to back up a little bit, you know, I, I mentioned every five years I changed jobs. Well, when I left journalism in 1995, I went into management consulting. Well, in management consulting, you've got to run interviews and probe and mm-hmm. understand things and ask questions. There's a different style around asking questions. And then after that, I, I, I went on and um, worked as kind of a uh, and had my own startup. And of course, as a startup, you have to engage differently and internally and externally and figure out your story for the world. That was a different form. Uh, and then I went on, on after that and I worked as kind of an entrepreneur where I kind of work with different corporations. And I had to kind of think about what the CEO is telling me he needed to have done and then communicate it to the organization to change things. And that was a fascinating adventure. And then I went to executive search for, for in 2008. Well, that's all another form of, of interviewing, you know, where you have to probe and understand what is and what isn't, what are motivations, what are people really like, are they pitching or spinning something or is it true? And there's all kinds of interview methods you learn or I've learned through those 30 years that I apply given the nature of the conversation I'm about to have on Inside Asia. You know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, you, sometimes you walk in, you say, well, I don't know, this guy's a little bit stuck up, you know, maybe he's just kind of, you know, has a bit of an attitude. So you go a little aggressive, you break it down. Other times you, you use kind of more of humor to disarm people, you know, get them in a, in a soft, gentle place where they can actually open up and have a great conversation. You have to size it up and size it up quickly and then know really how to go after the interview and get the really interesting pieces. Inside Asia is really not about hard talk. It's about conversation-based insights from long-term Asia files, people who have grown up with the region, they've seen it transitioning, they have something to say about it, they've been either in a geography or an industry or a function. Many of them are people that I've known for 25, 30 years. I've watched their careers boom. And, you know, I've stayed in touch with them through the years and they do me the wonderful courtesy and honor of coming in and, and, and allowing me to interview them. And, uh, we have such a rich, wonderful array of, of discussions. It really tells a patchwork story of Asia. And that's what we're trying to do. We're building we're we're we're, we're building a quilt here, you know, one one patch at a time. And uh, it, it's a very diverse, as you know, Graham, you know, I mean, Asia is not homogenous. It's it's it has so many twists and turns and angles and ideas and cultures um, trying to create that picture for people both in Asia but outside of Asia is is the big it's the big mission the big task here yeah and I love the way you're doing it telling it through the stories of the individuals Mm. I I know you talk about the meta trends and the big news items but you relate through people and their stories you know that's that's how we tell stories of history right you know you can talk about the Reformation, for example, but the Reformation really was just, a, nobody talked about the Reformation at the time. It was just a series of events with people doing different things. That's a great point. Yeah, right. We right. Didn't, you know, they, we only called it the Reformation 150, 200 years afterwards and said that was that period <laughs> in history, right? And yeah. you're, you're sort of in this space as well where you're identifying these key players who are all kind of just doing their different things, this patchwork quilt, this tapestry that you're right. sort of weaving of different stories. And, you know, I think it takes a certain... This is what I'm, I, I, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because when I speak to podcast hosts, everybody's different. And I, I find, for example, like your style is the closest in spirit to my style because it it's about the people at the end of the day. We're not we're not experts. We're not you're not an IoT expert or a blockchain expert talking about your domain you're you're you know because you've been trained in management consultancy from the early stage and being a journalist as well you're a generalist 
and I consider myself a generalist, but I think there's a real need. Generalism is like an expertise in itself. There's a real mm. need for that. Somebody who can relate different things across different industries, yes. different time zones and say, yeah, okay, I, I, I know your backstory and I've heard it's something similar like this here before. And let's sort of connect all, all these stories into one, you know, this, this patchwork that you talk about. And, and I wonder about your style. You, you must have a real passion for people to make this work because you've got to want to get in deep and understand them and you know the why in people's stories oh, and so on no no doubt no doubt i mean this is this is you know this is the the core of of everything i've done my entire career has been about people in one way or the other i mean i didn't you don't go into you know the headhunting executive search business if you don't like people right you have to really care and you have to be really sitting with people who are mired in confusion or difficult situations or hungry for a challenge and really kind of unpack that and understand what are they about not what they do. I mean, you can read that on a, a CV, right? You know, they've, they've run a, you know, $20 billion company and they've, you know, sold a thousand cars or what, whatever. That's just stuff. Yeah. What makes you tick? What are you? And, and is there a cultural fit? And are you the type of person that's going to be able to be successful in this type of organization? I mean, that's really that's getting into the heartbeat of, of, of what, you know, people are all about. Um, and this is why I just you know, for me, it's just it, it, it has to start with a person. And and I notice you start, you know, many of your podcasts with, you know, a question. And, and I do the same thing. You know, what brought you to Asia? How are you here? And, and unapologetically, many of my guests are long term expats, not because you know, I don't think Asians uh, have something to say. God knows they've got everything to say. It just happens to be people that I've grown up with, people that have been here for 30 years like me, and people that I think have had an interesting, you know, outsider can't become insider, hence mm. inside Asia, right? perspective on this region. And, you know, it, it's just a perspective. I'm not claiming to know it or own it or have the final word on it. But I find these key influencers and these insiders and these people who have just kind of really worked the system and really understood what it's all about to be extremely important for us and for people outside of Asia to understand what's going on in this region. So it starts and ends with the people. Absolutely. When you go into your podcasts, you do an interview. Do you have a specific goal? Do you have? Oh yeah. Okay. So tell me well, about it, your you process. Know, I, I, mean, I say that. I say that. I mean, I go in with kind of because I've somebody I've had a, a a meal or I've had a conversation with somebody and they've said something that just caught my interest. You know, it had they have to be interesting people. Mm. They they can't just be smart people or just you know here's my pitch or here's my thing or here's my sector. No. They have to be good storytellers and they really have to be able to put things in context. And that's what I love about people, you know, most of the, the people, although I am doing a little of a millennial thing right now where I'm looking at young people to get their perspective on, you know, what Asia is becoming, even though they haven't been here as long, but they've got a different take on it. And I'm finding that quite interesting. But for the most part, it's people who have kind of contextualized, you know, what the region is. And um, I find that really important and essential to get great, rich stories mm. from people with experience. How do you get that out of people? Because it's also a challenge, isn't it? You, you know, I might be sitting here going, all right, Steve, um, you know, send me the questions beforehand or, you know, yeah. like my PR guy sitting with me here and you, you can't ask me about that. There may be people who are a little bit difficult, maybe people who are not natural self-promoters. And, yeah. and a lot of people haven't even thought about their story, have they? Yeah, my no. story is this. What, 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 yeah. How do you sort of get that out of people? Because you're in the art yeah. of telling a story. What happens if they're 
not ready with their story? Yeah, it's a great question. It really is. It's an excellent question. I mean, in some ways, you know, that, that you know, their story is a way of, to, to be frank, um, you know, um, there was a, a recent, uh, the long term, and I've just totally blanked on her name, Fresh Air, NPR, wonderful 40 year old, 40 years in journalism. And, you know, just the other day, she, she sent out, there was an, uh, an article about it. She said, there's only one question you have to ask anybody in order to run a great interview. And that's tell me about yourself. Yeah. That's the only yeah. question. I mean, because people just immediately drop the scars, drop the pitch, drop the bullshit, and they start to talk, frankly, because everyone loves to talk. I mean, I'm enjoying talking about myself. Thank you so much. I haven't had a chance to do this in a while. Uh, I mean, I will, will say otherwise. But, you know, I think it's it's a wonderful warming way to get started. Yeah. So it's not that the podcasts are entirely about the person. But once I ground that person and get them comfortable in sharing who they are and why they are here and what they have to think about, then we move into the ideas. And all of my podcasts then point towards the future. I don't leave it with what's been, what is, but I always ask the question, how would you anticipate or how do you see this changing or how is it going to impact this region or this industry, whatever the case may be? I want people to, you know, take a take a gamble, stare into the crystal ball and give some ideas. And and you watch and you wonder sometimes whether somebody is capable of doing that, but I'm always prepared to kind of go ahead and help them work through it mm. because you don't want to leave somebody like stunned and, and I really have no idea. But I do really think it's important to make sure that you press people to really kind of stretch themselves in these course of these interviews. Mm-hmm. You're there to make them sound good, obviously, at the end of the day. Well, not, always, not always. No, I'll tell you there's a recent one. It hasn't come out yet. I won't, I won't give you the name. But there's, you know, I think at one point somebody was overselling mm. ASEAN as a subregion, uh, really kind of, you know, uh, being a real great proponent for the leadership of Southeast Asia. And no matter, you know, how many times, you know, I, I would point out issues in the Philippines or Malaysia or elsewhere where we do have political issues, this person would come across as an apologist. And I didn't let it happen. And I wasn't just going to let that person get away with it. I did hold him accountable. Like There's the him. So, you know, somebody's out there and it's, it is pending. It's very smart individual, very capable individual, but I will not let people get away with things. I do hold them accountable. Hmm. How does, does that come naturally for you? Because there is that sort of, you know, that that feeling that somebody comes on your show, you you don't want to show them up, but at the same time, this you're being firm but fair, and this yeah. is your brand at the end of the day. If you're just somebody who like, okay, come on my show and just pitch what the hell you like to everybody, yeah. you well, fine, you can get some views and some listeners, but at the end of the day, people won't come back, will you? So you're yeah. trying to find your voice here. Yeah, with well, a luxury, you know, this whole this whole uh, you know pod, the Inside Asia was born of the of of uh, you know when I was working as an executive search guy, um, I realized I'm having all these incredible conversations around the region. As a regional managing director, I was getting across ten countries, ten markets, lots of opportunity to meet people, and because of that, I said, "There's just this is too good to keep to myself. I need to extend and provide these and give access to these great insights from these amazing people." to a broader audience. That's how this whole thing started. Uh, that was a year and a half ago. Um, and I think as, as we've kind of grown with it and as, as it shifted, I, I think now, you know, the, the way I'm thinking about it is that it needs to be more uh, about um, trying to make, make sure that people understand that there are changes afoot. 
and trying to get them to understand that it's not simple black and white stuff. Trade is a great issue, right? Uh, I've had three or four people around the trade issue, and I don't bring them on the show because they're trade experts. I bring them on the show because I know that they're prepared to be provocative. Hmm. They're prepared to hang themselves out there a little bit, and they're not afraid of that. Um, and even if there's criticism comes back, they have to be credible, but I like provocative. So I actually am very, I spend a lot of time picking my interviews and making sure I've got people who are going to leave you perhaps with more questions than answers, but that's okay. Mm. Mm. So that is an interesting question, isn't it? Who do you choose as your guest? Do you choose guests because they're Jack Ma or they are oh. the big name or you're choosing people because you just think this is going to be a really interesting conversation? It's really interesting you brought that up. I mean, Jack Ma, God bless him, great story, the whole bit, you know, multi, multi-billionaire, the whole bit. Um, you know, everybody and their mother wants to have Jack Ma, you know, showing up at their events and speaking at their, their client gatherings. That's great. But I think there are so many people with such great insights that are actually sitting behind the scenes. Mm. And they're the ones who are actually in more positions of, of uh, they're more agnostic. So sure, get a CEO on. He's going to tell you how great his company is or why everything's honky-dory. You know, he's got investors and shareholders and stakeholders that he's got to protect. And so you're not always going to get the real deal, the real inside story. Yes, he's going to be a very impressive individual. I'm not taking anything away from them. I'm focused on those key influencers, mm. on people who are kind of and, – and actually many former journalists. I mean I just uh, – two weeks ago, I had Clay Chandler on who is a longtime journalist. Uh, he's now head of Fortune Asia. Um, you know, I had uh, Mark uh, – the, the last one that just uh, came out, uh, Mark Clifford, who is the Asia Business Council executive director, director. But he was with The Standard. He was the South China Morning Post and he was with Business Week. And he talks about Hong Kong and, and the changes going in Hong Kong and southern China. I like people who are former journalists. I like people who are analysts. I like academics as long as they don't give me the dry stuff. You know, give me some peppy stuff and then you're on. You know, I, I'd love to have you on. But I'm not going to put somebody on who's going to quote a lot of statistics, you know, and bore my, bore my listeners to death. They have to be, you know, um, have earned the right, if I can put it that way, uh, to be interviewed in a comprehensive and thoughtful way. Mm-hmm. And have something to say without being yeah. – running through the filter of Mark Holmes and PR. yeah and these are, yeah and typically I mean Jim McGregor is another great example I mean he was the Beijing correspondent for the Wall Street Journal when I was the Hong Kong correspondent I know Jim for 25 years he's been on the show three times because he is just unbelievably hmm. frank I mean he'll call it the way he sees it and he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't duck or he doesn't he doesn't bow from it. So um, these are the kinds of people that I think really have something to say and oftentimes they're the ones who are servicing clients and aren't necessarily on the front end. Now I'm giving them an opportunity to basically share with the rest of us what they've learned through the process. Uh, It's a very journalistic approach isn't it? If you look at good journalism often a good journalist will go to the action or to the story and find ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And often they've got their head down in the weeds doing whatever they do on a daily basis. But whatever they do on a daily basis can often be amazing. They're just not natural self-promoters. They're not out there talking about their shit every day. They're often talking about other people's stuff or doing something where they're just so busy. So it takes somebody like you to come along and just find that story in them. And sometimes they feel a little bit uncomfortable in the limelight because it's not a natural thing. They're on the other side, if you like, of the other side of the microphone, the other side of the camera. 
But I think that makes a great journalist is they can go out and they can talk to normal people who are doing amazing things rather than the ones we all know about, the Jack Mars and whoever's. And in many ways, you're right, they have great stories in themselves, but it's been told and it's clicked. Yeah. But these guys well, maybe don't have a platform, right? Yeah. No, you're raising a real – and it's almost like this series that you're doing with interviewing podcasters right now is really interesting because it's like a one-to-many. I mean, you know, like I mentioned, 70 episodes, I've been exposed to some of the most extraordinary conversations over, you know, 18 months. And and so it's given me this broad sweep and insight on things that I would love to share with people. It's not what I, it's not my job. It's not what I'm going to do with, you know, the podcast, but it's fun to talk about it because, and, and I think in many ways, that's what I'm doing with Inside Asia. I'm looking for people who have kind of perspective. They're not just vested in one, you know, angle or one idea or one organization. They've been across because they're in situated they're in the service industries, if you will. So many of them actually have something to say and they go very deep and they've seen lots and been exposed to lots of ideas and people and organizations and trends. And therefore, they're they're rich and they're interesting. Mm. So 70 mm. episodes in. What are you doing differently now to your first podcast? Now yeah, that you've really grown. Rhythm, rhythm. I mean, I, you know, we were, you know, I, you know, you know, you know, you know what I'm talking about here. I mean, you, you're kind of finding your feet, you're figuring out my voice, trying to figure out what style works, what resonates with listeners, what are people, what is the feedback coming from, what do people like and don't like. Now, absolutely, in the last half year, I think we have a really, really tight, you know, format where you know it's it's just it it's just it comes in quick. You know, it gets into the person, it moves into the ideas, it gets very engaging and sometimes a little heated, not not in a bad way, but in an interesting and kind of uh, you, you can feel the emotion rising because, you know, I try to get people excited in what they're doing and I really push them a little bit. And then, and again, as I mentioned, this Asia Insider Minutes, uh, which was really just a way of kind of a big, little thought provoking at the end, wrapping things up. But, you know, podcasting is audio, man. And, you know, the one thing I've recognized, I don't know what you're finding, is that we've got to go multimedia as well. So, you know, I'll write an editorial every week and post it on LinkedIn to accompany the podcast that basically takes that Asia Insider Minute that comes at the end and I put it at the front. And then I tweak it or I tie it to an event or I kind of align, align it with something that's going on. So now I have the written word and then I have the audio. You know, if I had a prettier face, I'd probably go into video. I, I, I don't, I don't look radio. like a human. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I, I don't have that pretty boy look. So I, I don't know. I'm an old guy now. So nobody wants to look at me. So I'm not sure what to do with that. Don't undersell <laughs> yourself, Steve. No, no. But I mean, you know, you know what I mean, though? I think I think people want yeah. different formats and they want different ways of consuming media. And you, you and we all, I think, as people in the media business right now, need to accommodate that in clever ways. Hmm. It's an interesting shift, isn't it, in, in the media space is that at the end of the day, what we do is audio and story. You know, that an audio is the best format, really, for story in, in the most authentic human way. That yes. is what people will come back to. You can have audio. You can just listen to audio on its own, but you can't just have video without sound, right? So you've got to have audio. And then if you add video on top of it, it's audio with video rather than TV. And I think that's the key, isn't it? It's not, it's, this isn't TV production. The reason we do video is for discovery because right. you, YouTube is a powerful discovery tool. Like yeah. every, you know, especially as the younger generation come through and, you know, I spend so much time myself on YouTube discovering stuff. And I think now, like, 
if you look at young people and how they discover music, gone is the radio. They discover mm-hmm. music through YouTube, but it's still music. It's audio, right? So does that concern you, though? I mean, I mean, I, that's an interesting, you know, thing you've just raised because now it's almost like you can, you can, you know, demand driven, get exactly what you want. But then we lose by virtue of doing that the eclectic nature of what's available to us. So, for instance, when I listen to music now for the last two or three years, I listen to a a streaming radio called Radio Paradise. It's off the West Coast, U.S., and it's entirely eclectic. And the reason I do that is because every day as I'm listening, I can hear stuff that I've never heard before. I mean, it's old, it's new, it's contemporary, it's indie, whatever it is. I just love that. And I think, you know, if anything, I'd be an advocate for eclectic mm. because we're losing that ability. The same reason why I still open and read a newspaper, because my eye will wander to the top right corner with a catchy headline about something could be, you know, you know, Swedes discover a new way of milking cows. Now, I'm not normally going to go demand that and look for, you know, stories on milking cows. But if that's a funny, interesting, entertaining story and tells me something I don't know, I just learned something. I broadened myself by virtue of reading a newspaper. So I'm actually worried about now people just kind of collapsing things and only going after what they want versus exposing themselves to, you know, what's available in the world and and, and, and allowing themselves to be surprised and delighted. That is the uh, that's the discussion isn't it, around politics that we're, we're we're facing today, isn't it? Oh, we, we can... I do get to go there. Echo chambers. I mean, you could live in a world now where pretty much everything is of one world and everybody's agreeing with you. And, um, you know, we're, we're start seeing media in that sense that people live in those worlds. But yeah, Steve, I don't know. I mean, maybe you could argue that back in the day, even if it was eclectic, it was decided by an editor or an advertiser, right? And it's, I guess now we're entrusting the platforms, the Googles and the Spotify's and the Amazons even to tell us about those, you know, those, those random connections that may bring us into new worlds we'd never discover, right? And I think, you know, if, if you look at, I, I suppose it comes down to the individual. If you look at people who listen to podcasts, somebody who listens to your podcast will listen to mine. It's not an either either. It's not a zero sum gain, is it? So I think that it, some people are just curious and therefore they will go out and search stuff. So if you can put something on YouTube, they will discover it and something aligned to that and then something aligned to that through these platforms. So it really, you know, we're putting our trust in the algorithm, right? Will it yeah. introduce, will it produce an every decreasing circle of interest or will it expose mm-hmm. us as we would hope to wonderful new ideas and, and so on at the end of the day, maybe that comes down to the individual and how they then sort of, you know, go through that sort of discovery process. But, you know, I've discovered a lot through YouTube, right and, yeah well, and, and, and new I, music as well right so right and it isn't something like you know somebody said uh 70 of of the world's internet traffic is youtube or something crazy like that yeah. some insane oh sorry of streaming of streaming uh, of people streaming 70 percent or plus is is youtube which is just an enormous uh you know testimony to the power and and presence of youtube in the world seven the data that i saw 70 percent or two thirds or whatever of the world's web traffic was live video streaming of mm. which probably 70% was there it is some yeah. girl in China eating noodles streaming the experience to millions of people. And I guess the, the point that I think there's a serious point in it for us in podcasting is this, is that 
you know, there's a there's a massive growth in what I kind of describe as the human experience media. So yeah. think about Starbucks, for example. You know, Starbucks exists, charges twice as much as McDonald's, is twice as slow as McDonald's, but is umpteen times more popular and, and you know, in terms of brands, uh, you know, connection, engagement and so on than McDonald's because it's a human experience. You know, it shouldn't exist in, in the digital and digital world that we live in similarly you know there's a huge push into this media where people are connecting i know it sounds like this is very basic social media stuff but i'm talking about you know why are young chinese kids watching a girl eating noodles and millions of them because that's what we did you and i steve did in our day we, we're not watching girls eating noodles but we sat i don't speak for yourself bro. yeah well, sorry yeah, hands okay. up my yeah, fetish right. is out but that's we yeah. sat with people and we chatted right we sat and we talked yeah. and we ate right. together and right. now you know right. you can imagine young kids growing up now don't even eat together they're just kind of isolated yeah. and so, i think oh. the podcast is like that as well it's like a conversation we don't have anymore it's the campfire it's missing in our lives and i, I wonder if you have any thoughts on this because you're giving a very human conversation as well and whether that's deliberately guiding you in that no, it's so in, I mean, you know, in, in this last episode, the one that was just released with Mark Clifford, where we talk about Hong Kong and the greater Bay Area, which is southern China and what's going on there and everything else. I actually opened the episode walking through the Hong Kong uh, MTR, the, the metro um, at 830 in the morning at rush hour with no fewer than 3000 people, like 55 phalanx, 50 shoulder to shoulder and probably a thousand deep. And it was absolute silence. And as I was walking through, I said, oh, my God. And I took put down my bag, took out my mic, put, you know, put the tape on. I said and I said, here I am. Rush hour. Listen, you can hear a pin drop, all these soft little footsteps. And everybody was plugged in. Everybody had headphones in. Everybody was staring down at their phone. There was absolute silence, zero conversation, and a mass and a wave of humanity. And I thought, you know what? It's nice to have a little quiet at rush hour, but this is a sad moment because I remember some of the greatest conversations I've ever had in my life were on those mass transit systems in Washington, D.C. when I was a young journalist, striking up a conversation with somebody on a bus or getting on the yeah. subway or stepping in a, a taxi line, and nobody had phones then, right? Okay, so now I'm now you know I'm old, um, but that's just the way it is, and that would, to me is missed opportunity. And if anything, I could say to people is get the hell off your phones for a while, make it a pledge to yourself to spend an hour every day where you turn put your phone away and you go and you seek out conversation. And if you don't do it, you're going to become just a cog. And nobody needs we the world needs fewer cogs, and they need a lot more conversationalists. Would be my view. Oh, wow. Yeah, fight the power, Steve. I remember those days. <laughs> sitting on a bus. See, I would get a bus to school and then to college. And then even when I started work, getting a bus. And in the days when people used to smoke on the buses, you know, mm. like that was normal. The up, it used to be that the top deck as well was then the only place you could smoke on a bus. So it's like really concentrated, like a nightclub in there. Yeah, but you were lucky. You had top decks. We didn't I, have top decks in my country. You know, that, uh, I love those buses. Yeah, yeah, that's where you went. You didn't even have to smoke. You just inhaled. But that was the right. the days when people used to talk to each other, you know, and like, you know, oh, have you got a light? And then they would talk to you and like, where are you going? And that was normal. As you said, people didn't have phones. Maybe they'd stare at a, a book or, but generally people would talk 
Um, so you're advocating for bringing back smoking is what I heard. Well, in a roundabout way, but at least that environment where people talk to each other. And now if, if somebody speaks to you on, on the bus now, you know they're crazy. Or right. you know, maybe they're a journalist, right? So, <laughs> or their phone died. <laughs> if I own died, right. Can I borrow your phone? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the, it's just, you know, and I think that's the beauty of podcasts in a way is that it's trying to strike back a little bit. Like you said, just not to be a cog. It's trying to present the human and, and right. be that, that analog conversation, even if it's on a digital platform. But, you know, to give back that human conversation, we, we don't have anymore yeah. people just don't have conversations like they used to and why, why are podcasting is becoming more and more popular you know mm. my, my theory is because of that because you know because we're becoming more and more digital yeah and by by extension graham i mean i i see this in in you know in, in the corporate world i mean you know the work i was doing that the lack of communication between leaders and their people the the failure to learn how to converse just to talk to people just get around the water cooler and actually mm. just you know humanize everything everything's by text or WhatsApp or email and, you know, you have a meeting and you leave and you go to something else and you get back on your computer. We've lost the humanism. And as a result, we're losing the ability to inspire people back to our earlier comment about how engaged people are not now because there is no humanity in our, in our corporate worlds. And I think this is a real problem. And you hear about, you know, the great cool cultures of Google and elsewhere. Well, guess what? They're getting tough. Mm -hmm. There've been write-ups about Amazon, you know, this, this amazing startup company where it's just ruthless in terms of what you have to do and how you live. Tesla, there was a, a piece recent about, about the work, uh, you know, um, culture at Tesla. People are there for two or three years, barely getting a day off, but they want to, that's by choice. So, but I'm just saying that there's something that's missing in our leaders. There's something's missing in the way we're communicating as managers. Uh, and I think if we don't bring that humanism back to the workplace, we're actually going to get in a bad way. So it's not just, you know, the stories we listen to or the media we listen to. It actually extends into our lives. Hell, take it right into the homes and the bedrooms. I mean, you know, husbands and wives, I think, are struggling more than ever before to try to have conversations. Mm. So if anything, this isn't about podcasting. It's about reestablishing the rightful place of conversation in our worlds. Wow. I can't top that. That was no, such I a don't want you to, brother. You know what I'm talking about, I right? do, this totally. No, I love you're, it. You're yeah. in the game. And this is exactly where you are and why we do what we do, right? Yeah. You know, this conversation with you now, Steve, I think is, is a good example of it, is that I've had conversations with people in the, in the context of a podcast. It, it, you know, I, I've known them for some time, and I thought, wow, we've really gone deep. We've talked about stuff we would never talk about mm. in this conversation. And you, you kind of cut the crap and you get to the jugular issue of what's really interesting and important and that, that creates a connection with that person as well and you really get to understand them you know we, we could have a, a beer or a coffee as well and, you know we could talk about the same things but i don't think it would go as deep as it would like we're doing now and really find out about what motivates people and so on and it's just i find forget if anybody's watching this or listening to this it's fine that's that's a bonus the real point is just me and you having this conversation. You can have these conversations with people as well, like your friends and the people you know in your network on Inside Asia. And it gets to kind of level and it creates something which is always out there. You know, you, you've created something together and you've had a conversation. You walk away from a podcast and you think, wow, that was a really good conversation. Right. I don't right. know how you can get those anywhere else. How, you no, can't. You, you you can't. I mean, I mean, I think there's, you know, the idea of the salon, right, was so popular, you know, in France 
France and England, you know, 200 years ago. And I think there's lots of attempts going on right now around the world to recreate salon, recreate conversation centers where people can just connect on a, on a human to human level. Um, podcasting is great, a great means of doing that. You know, I, I like to create, and I know you do as well, a feeling as if, you know, you are in the room with us. You are there. You're mm. part of You're sitting in that other leather chair. We're, we're, we're sitting face to face. We might be having a drink. We might be, you know, be, you know, whatever, leaning into it, whatever the case may be. But I want to create a feeling, and this is what I'm constantly trying to refine and tweak, as if you are in the room. As if you're participating, as if you're there. And hopefully one day you can be, you know, and that would be the idea. And this is why we talked about taking podcasts live. I don't know if you've listened to what they're doing in the States right now, but like Sam Harris waking yeah. up. I mean, he's gone on stage now, right? I mean, this guy's and he doesn't stick to 30 minutes. His his podcasts are two hours long. The guy's brilliant, but he's a little, you know, he's he's a little Maybe uptight. They- yeah. But but but, you know, but at the same time, you know, he is trying to create environments where people can participate. So one of the questions for you and I and others in Asia is, can we create forums? Can we actually create in, environments? The Moth is a wonderful example of a podcast, live storytelling on stage. Mm. It's gone viral. They make their money not off the podcast, but by the live events. And they sell out. Those tickets go on sale across the U.S. and they sell it within 20, 25 minutes. It is just there's a hunger. People are starved for story. You know, I have a I have a, a, a degree in mythological studies and depth psychology. Have I told you this? Yeah, you I'm only that. telling you this. I because love it. This, well, this, this is about storytelling. And this is Joseph Campbell. And he talks yeah, yeah. about the journey. And there's a patterning to how we tell stories and the call to adventure, the underworld, the return with the boon. I mean, there's something about something about story itself, which resonates with all of us anywhere in the world, regardless of ethnicity, sex, location, whatever story resonates at this kind of, you know, base level. If we cannot tap back into that, we are desperately uh, in, in a situation where we may lose our humanity altogether. Um, you know, uh, you know, like Harari, you know, it talks about, I, I've, I've mentioned him on one of our other conversations about this, where he talks about sapiens. What's the one defining thing that separated us, the sapiens from the Neanderthals, the ability to tell story and collect around it. I mean, to me, that says it all. And we got to lift our heads and look at that and say, what are we going to do about it? You know, are we going to go back into our tweets and Twitters and everything else and, you know, be satisfied with some digital exchange? Or are we going to get back to having the real conversations? I'm waiting. Yeah, How about man. you? Yeah, totally. I'm, I'm, I'm processing what you're just saying. <laughs> yeah. What, what was the book? Is it 1984, George Orwell, and the last, the last scene? The I can't remember the name of the protagonist. You know, obviously, Big Brother. It's very relevant to our conversation about losing humanity, isn't it? Isn't it the last scene where he escapes doesn't he tell a, a, a fairy tale or a story i think in the last scene yeah, and I think that there is i think you're right actually yeah. yes yeah and that yeah. was his his sort of, yeah his freedom he he could tell a story and i think it was a child's nursery rhyme or something like that or something where right. somebody will correct me i'm sure a listener will pull me up on it that's a wonderful insight i mean it's just it's almost like that was the one the one escape valve he had from a society which had gone too far the other way. Absolutely. There you go. Well, Steve, it's been wonderful, really. And I've really enjoyed having this conversation with you. And I I love your work. I love what you're doing. I think, you know, you are out there blazing a trail for 
us. We're just kind of riding the coattails a little bit of your journalistic storytelling. So let's give a shout out to the Inside Asia podcast. Where can we find you? Thanks, Graham. Yeah, it's uh, www.insideasiapodcast.com. Uh, and uh, please, uh, you can download on iTunes and other places. Uh, please, please listen. Uh, love feedback. Uh, always interested to know what people think. And um, back at you, you know, thank you for all you do. Uh, you're, you're, you're building a podcast culture and platform in Asia. Uh, and I hope to see more of it. And I am an infinitely grateful to you and all the work you do. Awesome. awesome. Thank you, Graham. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show.